You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is Reformation Day. Today we celebrate being heirs of the Reformation. But what does that mean? What's exactly the the point of of celebrating, right? Putting red on our altar and and singing favorite songs. We gather for for something joyful and something distinct. But what does that actually mean? I want to just basically try to keep it simple today, maybe more so than I did it with Messiah. We'll see. And just put before you today some Reformation vocab, some basic words that tell us what exactly it is we're celebrating today. Because if we were to go back 500 years and go to the medieval church, what we would find is not that they had completely lost the gospel, but that that they had lost the gospel being in the center. It was still there if you knew how to look for it, you knew where to go, you knew who to read, but it was not in the center of the church's life. It didn't norm and shape everything the church did. And many men and many women actually stood to renew the gospel in the life of the church and stood bravely against terrifying powers of the world. And so there's really no better way to make this celebration clear than by saying again very clearly and simply what it is they stood for, what it is to be a child of the Reformation. So we're going to do this with the help of Paul, and so I invite you to please take out your bulletin because we are going to go through the verses. Unfortunately, I should have labeled the numbers for you, but we're going to try to keep it simple, so maybe you won't need them. So let's begin with the last verse. It's a famous verse. It's a very important verse because it sums up three of the four words we're using, we're going to talk about today. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Maybe we can make that a little clearer. One is justified by faith without the works of the law. That's what that word in the Greek behind there means. Justified by faith without works of the law. So those are some big and those are some key words. Words we're, we're familiar with, but it's worth taking the time to take, unpack. And let's, so let's start with law, because Paul actually does here in verse 19 and 20. He's actually talking about the law. Now, we're going to learn a basic definition. The law is God's will for his creation. Okay, so I'm, we're gonna say, I'm going to say it one more time, and then I want you guys to repeat after me. All right, ready? It is God's will... Oh, you guys got it all. Okay, fine. All right, fine. I don't know what I'm dealing with here. God's will for his creation. That is the law. God says, this is what I made you for. This is what I made you to do. This is what I made you not to do. This is how you thrive as a human being or as a goat or as whatever else you are. God's law tells you who you are and what it is to be you. That's what God's will is. God's will for his creation. That's the law. Now, This isn't really all that remarkable, but what is remarkable is what Paul says this law is supposed to do. Because we're really good at saying, okay, there's God's instructions, there's that law, that guy's not doing it. Or there's the law, I'm not doing it, and maybe I can can figure this out. But Paul says really clearly, the the natural move is that when we hear the law, we want to start talking. Saying, well, I did it, or I didn't do it, that guy did it, that guy didn't do it. But Paul says, as long as we're still talking, we haven't heard the law. We're not listening yet. So if you look in this next verse, whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. 
So in other words, when we hear the law truly, when it gets through to our thick hearts, we stop talking. We shut up and we stop pointing at other places and we simply say, yikes, that's not me. God says, this is my will for who you are. And I say, uh, that's the law. That's the power of the law. And this is supposed to do this to everyone. The law does this to everyone so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by working of the law, by the workings of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. <clears throat> now, we have to, to kind of get this. The law is meant to say, God's, here, God says, here's my will. Here's what it means to be you. And the actual effect is that it uncovers a cancer in creation. A cancer. That is what sin is. Sin is more than just breaking this rule or that rule. Sin is a power that enslaves. A power that enslaves. And the law unmasks this. This is what Jesus is saying in the gospel lesson. When he's talking, he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. That is, sin is a force and a power to which you are enslaved. And God says, this is what I made you for. This is my will for you. So that you can see, yikes, I'm not only not God's will for me, I can't be. So as long as, you, when you hear the law, as long as you're able to talk and point at others, you're not yet listening. As long as you're able to say, I can do it. I've done this. You're not listening. Because the law is supposed to shut your mouth. But this, of course, means there's a problem, right? Because he says, no human being will be justified in his sight by the law. Okay. So the law shows us a problem, and it's that we are not going to be declared righteous. Now, this gets us to our next word. So the law was the... Come on. Come on. God's will for his creation. Good. Okay. Well, now we get to this next word, and this is, and this is where things get a little complicated, but I, I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can. The word here for righteousness of God, or dikaiosune is the, the Greek. You don't have to try to say it. It could be translated in a couple different ways. It could be the righteousness of God. It could be the justice of God. It could be the rectitude of God. It is, it's a word that points at the right relationship or even the appropriateness of a relationship. So, in other words, what Paul's saying, by the working of the law, no one will be shown in right relationship to God. Because God, who made you to be a certain way, is also the one who's going to judge his creation. To judge his creation. Why? Because he's the only righteous one. He's the only one who is perfectly in line with his own will for creation. He is just. Which means he gets to be the one who says, you aren't who I called you to be. So just think about it this way. So, so it's important to see is this righteousness of God is what gives him the right to judge. So just like a father... What, is, what does a good father do when his son is beating his sister? He stops it. He judges it. He acts to separate, right? A righteous father does something in the face of evil. It doesn't just wink at it and say, meh, no big deal. Carry on. No, a righteous and good God stops and changes evil. And that's scary, right? Because the law just showed us we're not what he made us to be. And God is righteous. Now, this is how Luther... Before his understanding of the gospel, this is how he thought of God's righteousness. That is, what I have to live up to. This is who I have to become in order to be a Christian. And everything changed when he realized that in Romans 3.21 and following, there's something else going on with the word righteousness. So let's look at it. But now, which is now, 
the righteousness of God has been revealed or manifested without the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So the righteousness of God is his justice. All right, so let's, let's, we're going we're to get two parts to this definition. The righteousness of God is his justice. Righteousness of God is? Okay, and then the next part, which justifies. Which justifies. All right, it was, or we could just print the, the rectitude of God, which rectifies. The rightness of God, which makes right. The appropriateness of God, which makes appropriate. And when we see this not just as an attribute that God has up here, but something he gives, then we understand the righteousness of God. It's the gift of God's righteousness. Righteousness of God is the justness of God, which justifies. And that's the beauty that Paul unpacks in this whole section, that now the righteousness of God is manifested without the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law already told us that. But are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here we get the, the core of what it means to be the righteous one. The righteous one is not just the one who judges, but he's the one who makes righteous. And this is core for our understanding of, who, of, of this word, righteousness of God. So the law is God's will for creation. The righteousness of God is the justice of God, which justifies. But how does it do that? Who does he justify? Does he justify those who work hard, who try their best, or who are like super saintly, or who know everything? No. This is where we get to our third important word, faith. Faith. Now, sometimes we think of faith as, as mere belief. I believe the creed, I assent, I nod my head when we read it. That's faith. No, no, no. Faith includes that, but faith is broader than that. Faith is like what you have in Delta. When you get on an airplane and you trust that it's taking you to Seattle, that pilot could go wherever, right? But you trust, they said Seattle, I will take them at their word and I will trust them. So faith, and this is going to be your definition, it is trust in, faith is trust in the faithfulness of Jesus. The faithfulness of Jesus. This is, and actually I probably should change it because it's faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Or we could say trust in the trustworthiness of Jesus. Either way, you can, you can pick. Either way, because this is, this is kind of missed often in our translation. Paul says, uh, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who have faith. But you could translate that another way. And in fact, scholars have been kind of going back and forth how you should translate it. And I think a better way to translate this is to say, the righteousness of God, which is through the faithfulness of Jesus for all who believe. That is, his faithfulness, Jesus' trustworthiness, that he promises to be what he promised to be, that, he, that he's going to be what he promised to be. That's what you put your faith in. So why is this important? Because faith is not a virtue. Faith is not a human capacity. Faith is not like a, a thing you have in your heart that you get to kind of add to the equation and then you're saved. Faith is something worked in you by God when you are presented with a trustworthy person. When the airline gets you where you need to go every single time, it elicits your trust. So you know next time, okay, I can get on that plane. They'll get me where I need to go. Jesus' faithfulness is put before you, and it calls out your faith. And this faith alone is what makes you righteous. But, so we got God's got a will for creation. 
No one actually does it. But God is the righteous judge who declares us righteous. And only those who have faith, not those who deserve it or who are more or less righteous. Well, that's, that's a problem. There's a scandal there. That means that, that God could declare someone who spent his entire life hurting children just. While the person who spends their whole life sacrificing for the sake of their neighbor, not so much. That's not fair. There's a scandal of, the scandal of grace, we call it. The scandal of the fact that God takes sinners and he makes them righteous, even though they're sinners. Well, how does he do this? How does he both stay just and yet justify? Well, that gets us to our last word, the gospel. The gospel. Now, the gospel's not actually, the word's not in our passage, but the thing itself is. Verse 25 through 26 kind of lay it out before us. So the gospel, well, is, it's the news of the, well, the gospel is the story of Jesus as the righteousness of God. The storiness of Jesus as the righteousness of God. He is the righteousness. How does that work? Well, verse 25. For there is no distinction, all, uh, sorry, for there is no distinction, all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And here we go. Here's verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God put him forward to propitiate the just wrath of God. Well, what does that mean? Propitiate. That's a, that's a big churchy word. Actually, the Greek there is kind of fun. Uh, it's a word that's hard to translate. It could be propitiation, like a sacrifice of atonement. It could also be the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, where God meets his people, and the blood is poured on to atone for their sins. The core idea is that God puts Jesus forth by his blood, and it is on the cross to be the meeting place of God, the righteousness of God given to humankind. So, God takes sinners who are sinful, and he makes them righteous by giving them Jesus' righteousness. By giving them Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel. God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Maybe that's a better definition for it. God gives us Jesus' righteousness. And when you trust that, when you trust that, you have faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. That is, he is who he said he's going to be. He's going to be the righteousness of God for me. That's what it means to be saved by grace through faith. So, the law, what's our definition for the law? It is... Good. What about his will for the creation reveals his righteousness? What is God's righteousness? It is the justice of God which justifies. The justice of God which justifies. His rightness, appropriateness as judge. He has a right to judge you and condemn you. And yet he makes you innocent. All right? That's the righteousness of God. Through faith, there's just trust in whom? In in the trustworthiness of Jesus, in the trustworthiness of Jesus. And all of this is, comes from the gospel, which is the news that Jesus is your righteousness, that Jesus is your righteousness. These four words kind of sum up, they do sum up what it means to be an heir of the Reformation. There are all sorts of other things you can point at, but these four words capture the heart of Paul's teaching, the gospel of grace. It shows us, the law has shown us our rebellion, our utter enslavement, and our utter inability to fix ourselves. But the gospel has shown us a God who is not merely the judge, but he's the judge who justifies through giving Jesus to be our righteousness. And so we, as heirs of the Reformation, we celebrate 
and trust and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my righteousness. Thank you for being the goodness that makes me good, even though I am most certainly not. Thank you for being the Savior who saved me from myself. So, let us close with prayer. God the Father, you are the fountain and source of all goodness. And as the source of all goodness, you have a right to judge us not good, not right, because we have failed in so many ways to love you and to love our neighbors. And yet in your goodness, you have given your son Jesus, your very self, your very life and joy to take the place of us guilty sinners and be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So you have, you have rectified us and reconciled us to yourself. And we pray that by faith, you strengthen in us your presence and your redemption to eternal life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening and invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's www.emmauspasco.org.